0: But until then, my phone will go on recording. We get our new system here. Good morning. good morning. It's good to be here with you all today. I have already worked up a good sweat. I don't know about y'all, but I do know I was probably more active uh, since during our children's class and we were talking about love, I got this idea. To ask the children, we're talking about loving God and loving others. By the way, I do want to welcome all the visitors and uh, Marvin, Tina. I noticed you back there, and lest they hold that against me since we're family, I uh, do want to welcome you. So it's good to have you all here. And we were talking about loving others. And so I asked them, What is the opposite of loving others? And we got a lot of good answers hating others disliking others things like that uh, but my point was that the opposite of loving others is actually loving yourself being selfish and uh, so then to to give an example of how that might look um, i had all the children follow me outside and i had them line up on along the playground and i was very Adamant that they not let their toes touch the mulch there in the playground, they can stand at the sidelines and uh, I showed them my beautiful playground and and all the the rides, the swings, the slide, and and things like that. Showed them how I used to play on it when I was younger and how I play on it now that I'm older, and so we had a we had a good time, relaxed for a little while, uh, let them just. Uh, just have a good time watching me. And so then I asked them what would happen if that's how it was. And uh, we all agreed that they would end up losing interest, wandering off, and I would find myself all alone and without any friends, and I wouldn't feel good about the way I was living my life. There'd be no fulfillment in it, no purpose. Uh, So then I said, "I've, I've thought about it, I've learned my lesson, and I called them all back, and I said, help yourself, uh, this playground is for you, and, and so uh, I'm gonna help you, anybody that wants a ride, I'll push you, and, and if you need help climbing to go down the slide, I'll, I'll catch you, and, and we had all sorts of fun, and then I was able to stand back and watch everyone. Of course, there wasn't room for everyone, but to see all those that were having fun on the swing uh, the, the whole playground was just filled with children laughing and having fun, and nobody was fighting. And it, it actually really it warmed my heart to see it, uh, even as I was giving that as an example, and we passed out through Snacks and Suckers. and We all had a great time, and it was, it was even really heartwarming for me to be able to take them through that example uh, in a physical way and show how, how kindness and love actually fills you, because God's love, when it comes into your heart, it, it, if it doesn't have anywhere to go, it's not gonna keep coming. It's just, we're a channel, and we sang a song like that, Channels Only, this morning. We were at a family reunion over the weekend, and I had a lot of conversation with with other people, with family, but a lot that I hadn't seen for a long time. One thing I realized in a lot of my conversations, and of course something I had, I've known all of us know, is that we, we are, are people and we're always, there's, humanity struggles. We all struggle, you know. When you hear someone say, it's been going great, you know, either he's a rare specimen or he's not living in touch with reality. Uh, It seems like. And that's not to say that if you're doing good this morning that that you're not in a good place. And, And we praise the Lord for the times that we are feeling good about our lives. But living in victory doesn't always mean that we're free of trials and troubles. In fact, it might mean that we ha- are having one right after the other. But I want to talk about burdens this morning. There's a song that Johnny's family sings. Just recently they started singing it and it was a fairly well-known song. I guess it's a, a hymn before, uh, before they began singing it. But it's called, Take Your Burden to the Lord and Leave it There. I think the title is called Leave it There. But there's, there's a phrase that's repeated often in the chorus, Take Your Burden to the Lord and leave it there. And uh, I heard them sing that song again recently. It was, it was, it just caught my attention again. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. That's not something that we can just read or hear and think that's that's good, you know, that's really good. And then just go about our life and, and expect it to happen. To me, a burden, To to take it somewhere, it takes effort, it takes intention. A burden is something that is heavy, and by scriptural definition, the Bible uses different words for the word burden, but uh, one that I looked up would have meant give the idea of something heavy. Another one gave the idea of pressure. And sometimes, you know, maybe if you're at the doctor, uh, they would describe pain as pressure, and you, you know you're going to feel a little pressure here, and then Yah! that's That wasn't pressure, that was pain. I'll see, all done. But burden can be described sometimes as pressure, and sometimes it's pain. But we have burdens, we're humans, and we carry heavy loads through life. But for the Christian there's hope. We do not have to carry our burdens alone. We know these things that's very commonly talked about in, in our lives, in, in church, about casting our cares upon the Lord because He cares for us. It's been intriguing for me just to think that through recently, and I have periodically just thought about, really, what does that look like? Practically speaking. And over the years, that's really where a lot of my my messages of, of hope have come from. Where hope has become such a real thing for me because it's through casting my cares on him that I've that I've really experienced hope in my everyday life. And that's something that I think is it's not natural for me to do, to take the truths of God's word, and this sounds maybe odd to say, but I think I think There's a lot that could identify with with me in this. To take the the truths of God's Word that we grew up with, that we know very intimately, we often struggle with really how does that integrate and make a difference tomorrow morning when I shoulder my responsibilities, when I get ready to go to work, or when I get ready for the children to come piling out of the bedrooms and want breakfast and have to get ready for school. How How does hope, how does casting our burdens make a difference. So often I think my prayers are prayers of desperation, but I've come to realize that a prayer of desperation doesn't necessarily mean I'm casting my cares. Maybe I'm desperate because I'm not casting my cares. But what does it look like? And I'd like for us to just think as individuals think about that in our own minds. What does it mean for you to really cast your, your burdens? on the Lord. Whatever is heavy to you or causes pressure in your life or maybe you call it a tribulation. Maybe it's normal life, maybe it's something that's actually very significant like the loss of a loved one or the loss of health or something like that. And David knew a lot about, about this. Uh, in Psalm 55 verse 22 and the whole, the entire psalms, you find this theme over and over and over again. It's beautiful. Uh, He says, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. And you know by David's stories that we see in Scripture how often he was here. When he says that he shall sustain thee, who but David would know better what he's talking about? He knew because he had experience with this. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee, whether it was running from his enemies, which he did a lot, Uh, whether it was family that turned against him and really family that became his enemy. There There was all sorts of situations, whether it was his own sin, he experienced what it meant to cast his burden upon the Lord and the Lord sustaining him. What can we learn from that? He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved." And it's amazing that David was the one saying this, with all the the drama he had and and the failures that he experienced even in his own life. Psalm 63 is another beautiful verse, section of verses here that I actually would want to read. And uh, verses 1-8. through And if I remember right, this is a psalm that was written when he was running from his own son. And I can't imagine how that would be. He said, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And again, when he was writing these words, he was running from Absalom and he was in a desert area and he wrote this. "O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. I have to think about it in my life. When When I feel that my flesh is ready to faint, when I feel I'm in a dry and a weary land, when I'm thirsty, where do I go? is it for God or is it because of my burden? What, what am I, I love the thought of rather than being weary in, in bearing our burdens that we become weary and thirsty in seeking after God. May that be our, our story, may that be my story that I wear myself out seeking after God. So, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. David had a, I think a good realization maybe, a reality of what God's glory was, but you can too. If, if you study the places in scripture, and I, I don't have them listed this morning, but there is multiple places in scripture where men encountered the glory of God And it was amazing. It was amazing to see what the struggle in trying to describe what they saw. You can read it in Isaiah. You can read it in in Revelation. And I want to look at the one in Revelation here in a little bit. But if we can get a glimpse of the glory of God, well, you would think it would change our lives forever. And I think it would change our lives impact our lives significantly if we really could experience the glory of God. Yet, the way that we can experience Him today is provided. We don't have to have a special mountaintop experience where there was Moses and I think 70 of the elders and leaders of Israel that went up to Mount Sinai and it says they, they ate and drank in the Lord's presence. You'd think, that would would change my life forever. But would it? It didn't change theirs forever, interestingly enough. But the glory of God, when we can keep that in focus, and again, God's provided a way for us to experience God's glory in a way that they couldn't. In our hearts, not just with our eyes. But to see the glory of God and be focused on that, our burdens, they're no match for what we'll experience with the glory of God. And so this is what I would encourage you to do. If you find yourself in a a place of struggling with a burden, pull away from it. And I don't tell you to stop praying for it, but I don't even know that I I would say you're wrong if you would, but start seeking after and studying God's glory. And I can assure you that when you get a glimpse of who God is, and He says to cast our our cares on Him, and He cares about us, we will soon turn our prayers of desperation into prayers of praise and thanksgiving, and and our burdens will become lighter, and our mountains will move. He says, your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. There you see him coming into, praising God, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. How often do I find myself with my burdens overtaking my mind at night, and I lay there anxious, and I I wish this problem would go away, and and I don't feel I have the strength to, to address it. I love what David did here. I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. That's, That's a step, that's a huge step in dealing with our burdens. For you have been my help and the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Do you fear God? Do you know the God you serve? Or are you fearing your burden? There's a big difference. You will be overwhelmed by what you behold. You behold your burden, it will overwhelm you. When you behold your Savior, He will overwhelm you. We talked recently about, and I'm kind of going off script a little bit here, but we talked recently about this mind picture and i want to bring it back to your mind this morning when jesus sent out the disciples he used this term i send you i send you out as lambs among wolves to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves and i think it's accurate even in other places in scripture of us as lambs in the middle of wolves in ephesians 6 we're told that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of this world, wolves. And so think of this as a lamb. Think of a lamb surrounded by wolves. And you see that this this lamb, you know, your first thought when you see a lamb surrounded by wolves is he's done. There's, There's no hope. He's a goner. No protection and there's no power. But now, When we read Ephesians 6, we start seeing this lamb getting some equipment, and we see he has a helmet, and we see he has a shield, and he has his feet shod, and he has a breastplate. He's getting some protection there. Is he safe from a wolf? He's still still surrounded by wolves. Is he protected? He's got some protection. Would I say he's safe? I would still be a little worried. He's got the armor on, so he has protection. But what's missing when you have a lamb with armor? Let's even do this, let's put a sword in his hand. What do you got? You got a lamb with armor on and a sword. Is he safe from wolves? Very debatable. but put in that lamb the spirit of a mighty warrior. And the mind picture you get may be a little humorous. You get this, this lamb that is, that is do or die, a lamb that looks totally unnatural, but The other thing that's unnatural is you see wolves being beaten, being driven back. That's the difference. That is what changes everything. Is when you have a lamb, he has armor, he has a sword, but within that lamb is the spirit of a mighty warrior. That changes everything. What had been burdensome to him is not on his mind anymore. He has a purpose, he's fighting, he's moving forward. I want to just look in Revelation. In a conversation last night there was a a friend of mine from out of state. We had a a great conversation and we talked about this, the beautiful picture of this lamb. and, And my friend was in stitches thinking of this lamb with a sword and just like on turbo and was acting totally unlike a lamb should be able to act. But yet that's when we take Scripture, and I, I don't believe it's taking it out of context, to have this picture of a lamb among wolves and, and winning the fight. It's amazing. So, Revelation 1, we get a picture, I believe, of the Spirit, the mighty warrior Spirit that we have in our hearts. And we find the sword that's, that's in the hand of a lamb is not his own. And we know in Ephesians it's the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. The sword is the Word and it's not your own. It's it's controlled by the Spirit that dwells in you. The Word and the Spirit. So, in Revelation 1, we'll start here in verse 10. And this was John, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So, he was in the Spirit and he heard behind him a great voice as of a trumpet. And the voice said, I, and this is also a picture of God I believe, God's glory. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, Unto Pergamos, and Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, this was his description. He saw seven golden candlesticks, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man." Now he had seen Christ, he was one of Christ's disciples. And so he saw someone that reminded him of Christ, which is interesting to me, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, which is interesting to me. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. This is no normal person. And that is a fairly common description that I found when someone had an encounter with the glory of God, when they saw an image, was the way that the image seemed like it was on fire, yet it was clear, yet it was beautiful. And there was, there was one place in the Old Testament where it says that he was surrounded with a halo like a rainbow, something that you know, if we see God in all his glory we, our bodies literally couldn't take it and we would die. His head and his hairs were white like wool, it's white as snow, his eyes were as a flame of fire, his feet like undefined brass. What a description as if they burned in a furnace. And that's another thing you see. A lot of, a lot of fire. A lot of amazing scenery surrounding the image. And often the writer has trouble really describing in a way that makes sense what he saw. He had in his right hand seven stars. And then this, out of his mouth, went a sharp two edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. Out of his mouth went a sharp two edged sword. Think about that. Is that the sword the Lamb's holding? I think it is. The Word of God. I wanted to draw that picture in our minds today as we talk about burdens, as we talk about things that weigh us down, things that we think are mountains that, that we're not able to move, mountains that we can't climb. we think of being anxious, when we think of being depressed, do we know the God we serve? And that's a challenge from me to you to, to start looking at the glory of God and the encounters that men have had when they actually saw God's glory or saw an image of God and see their description and, and let that be impressed on your mind. This is the God that we're serving. This is the God that said to cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. You will be overwhelmed by what you behold. In Luke we know in the parable of the sower in verse 14 he says, That which fell, the seed, the Word of God, that fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares, and riches, and pleasures of this life. I think it's interesting that cares, and riches, and pleasures are put together there. And my thought on that is, often, that's where we tend to turn to, to deal with our cares. We think, well, if we had more money, or if we got our mind off of it and and had pleasure, Entertainment. Those are natural things for us to turn to. And so the riches and pleasures of this life, we often turn to those to get away from the cares. But that that makes so that our cares in our life are to no purpose. They only weigh us down and we have to keep running away from them and we get distracted. There's no purpose, there's no fulfillment, they don't do you any good. But we know, we know as Christians that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That puts cares in a different category. That puts our burdens in a completely different place when we decide to cast them on Him. Casting and trusting, same thing. How does it look like practically to trust God with the burdens that you have? rather than going after what we normally, naturally want to chase after, and that is to find relief from our burdens through something down here. Through entertainment, through, through financial success, or through a host of other things that we often go to to try to take care of our burdens, to try to find some relief. I think of when Jesus was ministering on earth. And in Luke there's an account here I'd like to look at. There was a man named Jairus and he was a ruler of the synagogue and we know this story where he had a daughter that was 12 years old and she was dying. And it was his only daughter and so he came to Jesus in desperation, which it's okay if you come to Jesus in desperation. The point being that we must come to him. We must come to him. This is what this man did. And he asked Jesus to come and, and heal his daughter. So on the way, this, in my mind, word, the word had obviously got out what was going on. There was possibly going to be a miracle. And there was, there was, I get the picture of thousands of people. There was a large group of people that was thronging him. In fact, there was, uh, there's another translation that uses the word choked. He was being choked by the crowd. There was people all around him. And probably all of those people had burdens of some kind. And he could hardly make any progress. But there was a woman that had an issue of blood for 12 years. And she would spent all her living on physicians. She had went the route that any one of us might have taken to try to find relief in an earthly sense. But there's a spiritual point being made here. She spent all her living on physicians, neither could be healed of any. And she, and I'm, I'm always wondered how hard she had to work, not being physically strong, I'm sure, if she was losing blood, and being able to get in through that crowd. My guess is she spent all of her energy in getting to where her last hope was being jostled and thronged and choked, trying to get through. And you get this picture of her going under and around and and giving her last ounce of strength to reach out and take a hold. Or just touch it, says, his garment. It was an act of faith. And we may often wanna think of this story that it was just a simple act of faith but I think she was giving all she had. I don't think there was anything simple about it. She was giving everything she had left to touch his clothes. And immediately, there was power that went from Jesus. And of course, we're familiar with this story where Jesus asked, "Who who touched me? His disciples thought it ridiculous that he asked who touched him he said they said essentially you're being choked there's people all around you and they were probably yelling above the noise of the crowd how can you why does it matter who touched you probably a dozen people have touched you in the last 3 seconds but he said i felt power virtue go from me i know somebody just gave everything they had Maybe that's what it means for you to touch the hem of His garment. Maybe that's what it means for you to cast your cares on Him. Maybe it's not just a simple act of faith, even though we should have simple faith. Are you giving everything you have? Not to stay away from your burdens or to deal with them, but to seek after Christ, to seek after God. that's really all it takes, is it takes all. Another time when Jesus was teaching, and again a very familiar passage, but it never gets old to me. When he was teaching someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now I've heard stories, about family inheritance, and it can be very messy and there's family that can feel very desperate that they're not getting their share, why does it matter? Why does it matter that we get our share of the family inheritance? Doesn't it really come back to burdens? We want life to be easier for us. We want life to be fair. We want to have what's coming to us so that we can live a more comfortable life. And it's no different here. Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. He knew obviously Jesus had some authority. But Jesus said, who appointed me a judge? And essentially told him, I'm not a judge or an arbitrator over you. I'm here for a different purpose. And then he told them, be aware, be on your guard against every form of greed. Is that how we're dealing with our burdens, is greed? It's, just, it's so natural for us. I think through this and I think, you know, I would have maybe done the same thing. Be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So good for us to remember. And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man was very productive, and he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, hmm, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. You know, we're hard on this guy, generally. But I can see myself having the same thought patterns in my world, in my life. It's very, I think, natural for us to, to kind of have that same thought process of we're just trying to provide for our families. You know, it's not about us, it's about our families. But in doing that, we can we can lay and store and and have the mindset of never quite having enough because we operate by worst-case scenario. Well, what what about if this would happen and, and the economy's slowing down and, and we don't know what the future holds and and I'm the I'm the provider for my children, we can have all sorts of of reasons to actually do kind of really essentially what the, what the rich man was doing and when I say that I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong to, to lay money away or to, to, you know, some of that is just uh, you know, is there a fine line between, between greed and good financial uh, decisions? <laughs> I guess uh, we all have to be the judge of that I guess in our own hearts. But this was just kind of eye-opening for me when I stop. I love to take scripture and just think about it those familiar scriptures that we we can recite by heart, those stories, we've grown up with them. But they're real, There's, there's something in them that if we miss it, then it'll affect us. It'll impact our lives in a negative way, where if we can understand what's going on and learn from it, we can move forward. And it can be in the everyday of casting our cares on him and then living in his kingdom. And so he said, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Relax. Uh, everything is, has come together and, and he may have been thanking the Lord that everything went smooth for him. Who knows. But God said to him, That's foolish. This very night your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you have prepared?'" So so is the man that stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then he said for this reason, there's a story that has a context it's following here. The man said help help me tell my brother to divide the inheritance. And then Jesus told the parable of the the rich man that had treasures laid up for many years but then was not in control of of his soul. And then he said for this reason, for this reason I say to you do not worry about your life. We're not in control of our lives. As to what you will eat nor for your body as to what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Even if a man has many possessions, his life does not consist in his abundance. Consider the ravens for they neither sow nor reap, they have no storeroom nor barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? That's Something, again, we know, but I really want us to to think it through this morning, that God sees you. He sees exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what you're going through. He was tempted in all points. Like as you are, He lived life perfectly so that He could help you, so that you could cast your cares on Him, so that you could be forgiven and be a child of God. consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have not storeroom nor barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing. Why do you worry about other matters?" And I, I love the thought of calling, adding to our life a very little thing. I, I just love that. What's well, totally impossible for us? And, and we think, we think we can add hours to our life by, by different things that we do. Uh, I think we're all still looking for the tree of life in a sense. But here it says we can't do such a little thing as adding hours to our life. If you then cannot do even a very little thing why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, but I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself Not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will He clothe you, you men of little faith? Of faith, and do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things, the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you have need of these things. But rather seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you." That is actually a step of faith, to stop worrying. It is for me to stop worrying about the future, about finances, about all the things, schedules, sleep. Sometimes I worry about that. To stop worrying about what naturally is on my mind and live with a different purpose. Actually be seeking after the things of God and trust that God is going to take care of the things that we naturally worry about and are anxious about. It's, it's, a, it's a backwards way of thinking it really is. To seek His Kingdom these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid little flock for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the Kingdom. How do you seek the Kingdom? You should know What I'm going to say next. How do you seek the kingdom? In Romans chapter 14 verse 17, he tells us what the kingdom is. He says, the kingdom, Paul says, the kingdom is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's how you seek the kingdom, is seeking righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And if you live in these things, you'll be accepted by God and approved of men. You seek after. So, let's insert this here. But seek righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then he challenges them to sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. I love that. Make yourselves money belts that do not wear out. I like how this translation puts it. An unfailing treasure in Heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is there your heart will be also. A beautiful perspective that he gives there that we live for His Kingdom and we leave our Kingdom to Him with all its burdens and its cares. Cast them on Him. And I think the way that we cast, the way that we touch the hem of His garment is is to actually turn away from what's making us anxious and seek after our relationship. Seek after, Jesus said, and you've heard me quote this verse often, if any man love me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. If we can get an understanding of what that actually is, let's keep his word. Let's make it a let's make it our goal to become more familiar with God's Word than we are about any other subject. We can do that and then watch as our life starts to flow from that. It's not easy to, make, to, be, to be a student of God's Word, especially if you don't like to read. But God understands if you don't like to read and He's provided many other ways to take in God's Word and to be focused on it, to dwell on it. Uh, he's, He's allowed us to pray. We don't even need to know how to read to pray. We can have direct access through God's Spirit. There's ways that we can focus on righteousness, peace, and joy that comes from God's Spirit. We can be a lamb with a sword and we can be assured then that He will take care of our burdens. They will be then cast on Him because He cares. And if the Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, when He cares, that matters. Your burdens have no chance. That's all that I have. Thank you for listening. God bless you.